You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Rob van der Heuvel, the CEO at SendCloud. We communicate early, right? We're very transparent about numbers, so everybody knows if it's going well or if it's not going well. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. Great to have you with us another time. And uh, well, before we start the episode, just want to say that you know we are still in recruiting mode when it comes to the networks that we're on. So we have the CEO network and the executive network. Great opportunity to spar with your peers uh, if you're a B2B SaaS company here in Europe. And you should check out sassiest.com under community. You find links to all of these places. And please also reach out to us if you are interested in joining. And besides that, we have a, a big event coming up in April, Daniel. Just a few words about that. Sassiest 2024, as you probably have seen in our communication, it is again, we're hosting the ultimate B2B SaaS experience where we have two full days of international speakers coming there to share tactical tips, how-tos, sharing, you know, wins, failures, experiences, templates with one purpose for all of us that are operators in B2B SaaS to become better, to grow faster, to grow more efficient. So you should you should definitely join there. It's, it's a great way to propel your own uh, career and the company you represent. Absolutely. And today we have a guest uh, that we will talk about the path to profitability. The key is increasing efficiency. Here we go. Today, we are really happy to have Rob at SendCloud here as a guest in the Sassiest podcast. Warm welcome to you, Rob. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Daniel. It's really great to have you here, Rob. And in, in, in the pre-talk a little bit, we talked about uh, football a little bit. Your your local team is advancing to the next stage in, in Champions League. So I guess that is a little bit of a teaser into like, where in the world are you calling in from? <laughs> I'm calling in from uh, from Eindhoven, where not a lot of people know this, but it has actually the most valuable tech scale up of Europe. It's called ASML. Google it afterwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a massive business. Uh, Eindhoven is a hardware city, but that's where I'm calling from. Yeah. Okay. And what can you tell us about uh, yourself? Okay. Yeah, Rob. I'm 31. Feels old to me. Uh, I started uh, started SendCloud 11 years ago. Uh, careful now. Careful now, because Thomas and I we were 31 over a decade ago. Just want to put that out <laughs> there. Almost two decades ago, <laughs> in, in my case. It okay. goes fast. So, uh, so I, start, I, start I know. We, I know. We look like 27. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thomas and Thomas and me look very similar. So I think the the, the fact that we uh, that we started eleven years ago, we started when I was twenty with this business. Before that, running an online store. So um, I was studying really bored during the study. Studied uh, in an you call it business economics. So it's kind of accountancy and uh, all things business. Um, but it was really boring to me. And uh, then a really good friend of mine, Boss, who is now also a co-founder in the current business. Um, yeah, he said, yo, let's start an online store. And um, we were quite successful running that store. And business was growing nicely, doing 30, 40, 50 orders a day. Boss was doing all the packing. I was doing all the online stuff. Well, I was the lazy one. <laughs> it's still kind of this. Boss is the hardworking one. 
but but he was losing so much time with doing all this yeah, stupid copying pasting of data to old systems of carriers and uh, yeah so that's uh, and they were paying way too much so that's actually how we started uh, started the business SendCloud. at one point we're like yo there needs to be some kind of solution which connects everything uh, connects all the shop systems connects the carriers on the other hand and then optimizes the uh, the entire journey, the shipping journey. So that's how we, we founded the business. All right. And, uh, yeah. Cool. So you're now the CEO of SendCloud and you've been doing this for 11 years or, or something like that. So, But what can you tell us more about SendCloud? What is your product offering? Yeah, so SendCloud is an online shipping platform. So if you're running an online store or a marketplace, you can easily connect to us in a couple of clicks and we connect you to 100 different carriers throughout Europe. So shipping companies, the DHLs, the DPDs, the GLSs, the local posts. Uh, we try to optimize the routing, but also your pricing, uh, the way you ship, the way the consumer experience is receiving the parcels or communication to consumers, the way the returns experience goes. So everything related to e-commerce shipping, except for the actual shipping itself. So the software around it. That's what we do. Gotcha. And uh, what type of customers are ideal for you guys? I get it, like, you know, obviously e-commerce, but is there a particular vertical or certain size? Yeah, we started out serving customers just like us, small stores, right? So, yeah. uh, and then have grown in the past 11 years, increasingly a market. So we have customers shipping 100 parcels a month, shipments, orders, and we have customers doing 5 million orders. So we have a really broad array of, of, of customers broad array of verticals so fashion home electron of electronics uh healthcare so we, we do kind of everything if it fits into a really large box right maximal on a pallet <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do uh so uh yeah it's quite a broad broad business so twenty five thousand active uh active merchants wow as we call them today so i'm assuming then that uh the more somebody sends, so that the more sh you know packages that goes out, the more money somehow you make. So it's a there's a transactional element in there. Yes. So I'll give you a little bit more context around that. So we knew 11 years ago, small stores don't have money. Yeah. We had no money, so we assumed nobody had any money. So we did not have anything to pay for our sh shipping solution, our shipping software, or anything. So we knew early on that we would need to monetize in a different way. So we negotiated with the largest companies, the largest carriers. So let's say DHL, we would tell them, yo, we're going to ship a million parcels next year. We didn't, right? But at that time we did like 50,000, but <laughs> we bluffed a bit. We got a really good rate. So we got a, a low rate to purchase uh, shipments on. And those merchants, those e-commerce clients, they could ship cheaper through our rate than through their own, right? Yeah. So it was kind of a win-win situation. So there's that transactional element still in that it, it's like 50% of our business 11 years later. But back in 2018, we also introduced a software subscription on top of that. Yeah. So uh, we really went into the SaaS business. So if you would have better rates or uh, you have negotiated a really great deal with, with the French post, if you're a French client, you would be able to plug in your own negotiated deals and, or combine them with ours. Gotcha. And we, we you would get a bit more features, right? So you get a lot more features when you pay for our... Uh, our software so that's the, the business model how it works today yeah okay makes a lot of sense and if we just you know add some numbers to the business here today like what can you tell us about how big is your arr today in, in in obviously in euros how fast are you growing year over year if you look at the past few years yeah so i'll, I'll take you to a couple of years and I'll, of course i'll answer the question so uh, yeah. i think we 2019 we're in a, we're doing like seven million or something of arr uh then COVID hit in 2020 we doubled then 2020 
2020 COVID hit, 2021, we did like 60, 70% growth. Basically today we are doing around 45 million euros of, of, of annual recurring revenue. It's a nice growth. It's a nice growth. It's And we're even with the headwinds in e-commerce because it's, it's been a really tough market out there. Uh, we're yeah. still growing 45% year on year and expect to do the same next year and the year after this as well. So we're, uh, yeah. we're still investing. And what's the reason for that? Are you expanding geographically or, or what's the motion behind it? Yeah, so we are active in eight markets. So from we ship from eight countries in Europe to the entire world. So there's partly geo expansion. Mm. But it's mainly um, broadening our uh, our customer group. So we start out serving small ones, and then mid-sized customers, and now really large customers as well. So it's both geo expansion and going deeper in the existing markets. So uh, yeah, serving our customers better. I think that's the the reason for the growth. And then of course investing heavily in sales and marketing um, and in product. So uh, actually in all parts of the business. Gotcha. And and how many are you today? How many full-time employees are you? Uh, 430-ish, 420-ish. I'm, I'm not entirely sure on the exact number, but something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're at a point where you don't know who's exactly hired. You don't know the names of everybody in, in the office or on the payroll. No, it, it's it's really weird. I think COVID did that to me. Eventually, we were recruiting 20 or 30 people a month, which yeah. is... By the way, I cannot recommend that, but more on that a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, yeah, then you 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 lose track. You you yeah. lose track. So I think after 180, 200, I lost track. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. still know most of the people, right? But uh, not everybody. Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. So we know that you you've you've raised some money throughout the years here. What can you tell us about that? Like, how much money have you you raised? And also, just to put things in perspective, how much of the ownership still sits with you and the initial founders? Yeah. So we raised. Ooh, I should, let's say roughly 170 million or something in total euros. Yeah. Uh, the last round was 150 million euros. So before that, we did not raise that much money. So back in 2021, September, at the peak of the market, uh, we raised a lot of money. Uh, by the way, half of that uh, was went into the company. Half of that went to uh, early shareholders. We, bought, we cleaned out the cap table. Yeah. Um, so we raised 170 million. How much sits still with the founders? Roughly 40% is still with the three founders of the shares. So, okay. uh, and we did seven rounds in total. So from very small to very large. And, and you guys have not done any secondary. Like you've been like 100% committed with your stake all the time. Which is dumb, by the way. I cannot recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it's good to take some money off the table. We, we were in the last round with the Series C. We said, no, 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 we don't want to dilute. So compensate our shares. We said, compensate that as, a, as an incentive. We don't want to have any dilution, which they agreed to, uh, but we didn't take any secondary, which, yeah. If you're a founder, I think it's smart to do that in every round of bids. Yeah. I give the advice to others. Yeah, exactly. At, at the same time, it sends a strong signal to the investor, like, you know, that look at these founders. They've been at it for a decade. They're so committed to this. I think, you know, yeah, that's that's impressive. Or they're idiots, right? You don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have a saying here that nobody remembers a coward. Everybody remembers an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. See? Yeah, Memorable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So uh, we have a main topic today. Thomas, you, you and I have been discussing this quite a bit within our other forums. And, and Rob, we were hoping you could shed some light on this from your perspective. Right, Thomas? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can also take us back a little bit uh, in your history here. And we would 
like to talk to the path to profitability and not just, you know, uh, cutting down your staff until you are absolute minimum, but how you actually can grow at the same time, which you have had. So what has this looked uh, history? Have you been burning cash for many years and then sort of you had to, to rethink or what has it looked like? Yeah. So before the large soft bank and our Caraton round of 150 million, we in our entire history burned through five, five and a half million euros, which was relatively efficient. Yeah. Uh, we've always been relatively close to profitable. So in our DNA is efficiency, a bit of frugalism. It, it, it was in it was in our DNA, and um, which I think is a really good thing to have in your in your in your core of your company, the core company culture. But then we 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 raised a large round of funding and we started thinking we could do everything at the same time. So oh, let's not enter two markets, but three markets at the same time. Let's not hire 10 salespeople, but 30, because you know, it will go three times as fast. So we made all the classic scaling uh, mistakes, I think. Um, then if you fast forward to, I think of April, 2022, we were seeing, in e- where I'm in e-commerce business, right? We were already seeing the effects of, hmm, this market's not going as fast as we expected. We're seeing a bit of slowdown. So we kind of hit the brakes already back then. Uh, so we said, oh, our hiring planning, let's not do that. Let's be a bit more strict when we extend contracts for uh, for people. And let's try to bring back the culture of frugalism, right? So of instead of filling every single process with people, let's say, let's hire four more people for Italian customer support. No, bring back the mentality of let's automate away these processes. Let's try to get two months of engineers or an engineering team focused on it and then completely automate away our recurring work. So I think that's a big part of yeah what a software company is supposed to do. I think that's uh, that should be in your DNA. Yeah. So today maybe fast forward to today, I think we're burning still a little bit of cash, but I think we should be with a bit of luck, we're profitable in December, which is our peak month, right? Then we have a small dip again in Q1, and then in Q2, we should be good again. So, uh, and we have enough capital on our balance sheet. We have, yeah, more than half of our money raised still on our uh, on our balance sheet sitting there. Now earning interest, by the way, not negative <laughs> interest, which is very nice. <laughs> All right. So you see this in the market, but but then again, you know, you have investors that put in 150 million in the company, and I mean, they are expecting high growth. And uh, how was this discussion? Was this driven by you or them, or did you have different opinions around this? No, I think we are we have really good alignment with our investors. So okay, people tend to think SoftBank as, as rash and, and spend money all the way, but I think my experience has been really good. So um, I think they were thoughtful, uh, both Alcaraton and, and SoftBank. They kind of let me make I think um, the mistakes as well, right? To learn from, they were giving advice, not deciding. Uh, I think they were helpful in uh, in uh, in, uh, in giving me the broader market context as well. So, hey, this is going to happen. Mm. This is what's going to happen when interest rates go up. Keep in mind when X, Y, and Z. So, I think they were helpful giving context. Um, but of course, it was our decision eventually to say, oh, let's 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 bring it back down to a normal level. Let's do less. Focus on doing a few things really, really well. Uh, let's not hire twenty people a month, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, and uh, you correct me if I'm wrong here, Rob. Like I always see this as it's an organizational challenge. You, you initially you build an organization, a structure, a team, 
for growth, probably for aggressive growth. Yeah. And then you have to take that setup and be like, just kidding. <laughs> We're going to do something different now. It's profitability. Like, what does that mean in practice? Like, so you, when you guys decided together with investors, okay, we're going to like re, you know, change the direction of this big tank. Where do you start as a CEO on a leadership team to make changes? Yeah, first of all, you're going to look where am I spending my money today, right? So what's in the forecast? How much do I have in cash? What's the runway? You, you, you basically say, what is, what is today? What happens if we don't do anything? So can we grow out of this? Can't we grow out of this? Um, do we have the right people in place, the right teams, the right process? So you take basically stock what's what's happening today. Then you're like, okay, where do we need to be? What is a good place to be? Do we want to be profitable then? Do we want to have significant reserves from being profitable? What is the desired end state? And then you start working towards that. So in our case, it meant we slowed down hiring a lot in April expecting okay you know what the the, the the will taper off our growth will compensate it actually did not compensate in 2022 it was not, not a great year for us and so we already saw during the summer we're not going to be where we want to be so we need to do we need to be more drastic mm -hmm. so uh, i think thomas said at the start yeah don't cut away all your people we kind of cut away 15 percent of our people which brought us back to we, we calculated what we needed to do so, okay you cut once, you should cut deep enough. So we we, are, we haven't cut crazy, like 40% or something, so 15%, which actually was really tough. So we uh, we did that in uh, in September 2022. Yeah. Um, earlier, the earliest we could possibly do it, because every month you wait, you postpone, you bring, make the problem bigger. Uh, so we we, uh, we laid off 15% of staff, reduced 30% of our costs. So we looked across the whole cost base and started uh, started seeing, okay, where is the fat? Where can we uh, trim it down? And uh, and uh, and did that. And then how do you change the mindset of the team? Yeah, I think it's by being really, really transparent to the team. So first to the leadership team, but then also to the rest, right? So this is what's happening. This is our cash burn. This is what we need to do to get out of it. This is the plan, right? You got to sketch out the path forward. If you, as a leadership team, just sketch out the problem, but don't have a path forward, it's going to be a shit show. You're, you're going to be in, uh, in panic mode with everybody. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so take control, build a plan, and start executing towards the plan. Follow your plan. See if you're doing the right thing. And then, of course, correct, just like you would normally. Yeah. So did you do one adjustment here? You mentioned that, that you sort of let 15% go, or did you take 10 and then 5 and then 5 again? No, no, we did one. So we said, no, we're going to do once, and uh, and, and not, we're not going to do it anymore afterwards. So mm. we did a, a one cut, and we said, we even discussed amongst ourselves, should we do more, should we do less? And I think this was the, this was the, the right number to do. So... Uh, you don't want to cut away everything because you still want to be a growth company, yeah. right? Which is a hard balance. Yeah. So where do you cut? Where don't you cut? So where are your revenue drivers? Do you cut your marketing budget? You will see it in your income leads and in your sales efficiency. Yeah. Uh, in our case, I think we had, we hired too many salespeople for too few leads, right? Yeah. So our entire go-to-market teams were becoming really inefficient. Um, so yeah, we had to look at that. I think for product and engineering, for example, almost nobody was let go because they, I think they were doing a good job. They were producing consistently and we needed them towards the future. Yeah. 
So I, I want to go back for a second here when you said like you did basically uh, a status check, like where are we right now and what needs to happen here for us to, to get to you know point B. In, in that exercise, it's obviously you know you together with your board and so on. Who else do you involve at that stage? So before you start communicating to the team that this is what we're doing, like just to understand what we might potentially need to do. Who is involved in that exercise? So the first round is me and the CFO, right? So yeah. we're, we're examining, we're checking, and maybe one one person from finance who does the forecasting and the scenario planning. Then you bring it to the broader, I would say, leadership team, which in our case was like six or seven people. Um, you discuss, right, what you're seeing in a market. You listen to them. Yeah. And then you start discussing with that team, right? And I only brought it up to the, the investors whenever we had a completely agreed plan among ourselves. Okay. So that that's how we uh, we rolled it. So okay, we said okay, we are the ones running the business. We should make the plan. We should decide where to cut and where not to cut it, and then bring it up to the investors later. And in terms of communication to the rest of the organization, like if you just you know look into some of the details a little bit more specifically, yeah. How was that communicated? Did you first go out and say, guys? This is the, the macroeconomics right now. We're burning a little bit cash. It looks like we're going to have to cut costs. Unfortunately, that might affect some of our colleagues. Or, or what was the take here? No, already when, when we were seeing a market going down a bit, we communicate early, right? We're very transparent on numbers. So everybody knows uh, if it's going well or if it's not going well. Yeah. Which means this message does not come as a surprise. But I would say I sent, I think, in April or May, a company-wide email detailing, hey, we need to really step it up. We are in a really good financial position. We don't need to cut at all. But if six months down the line, X, Y, and Z does not change, we might need to look at our staffing costs, right? So uh, I think communicate early. The earlier you can communicate, the risk is that you scare people, right? So uh, that they feel scared and that there's no pl- if there's no plan, then you're going to scare people away. Yeah. Um, but if you communicate early, then it does not come as a surprise when you actually do the cut. And whenever you do the real cut, then you have company all hands with a really, that's a really shitty message to tell. And uh, yeah, you, you explain what happened and why. And uh, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your company culture and how this maybe would help or, or make it difficult to, to do these decisions? So we are uh, quite, we are a quite tight knit group of people, right? Some of us have been working here for a long time, especially the also people we let go back then. Um, I think people in general here are hardworking, they're really motivated, they want to do what's best for the company. They sometimes don't know how to, They're uh, sometimes they're a bit junior, but I think I'd rather have junior people working really hard than uh, and, and mo- having high motivation uh, and wanting to achieve things than, uh, than the other way around, everybody who knows how it works, but they're not really motivated. So I think we had a quite good company culture. I think we still have a really good company culture. Uh, one of our core values is no bullshit. So it means we are really straightforward with, uh, with the numbers, with the way we communicate, with the way we give feedback. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say that's good. And if you then do the layoff, it has enormous impact because you betray the trust of the team. Yeah. And our team was used to a lot of success. And a lot of success, it's really true. It's a cliche. It breeds complacency, right? If, if the company is growing 100% year on year, and it's just the market actually doing that, facilitating most of that, not all of it, but like let's say half of it, then everybody feels they're really doing the right thing, but 
whenever the tide goes out, you know, then uh, you can see who's swimming naked. And you could see some people swing, swimming naked. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. And I think it, dis- it kind of disrupts the culture. It took us three, four months to recover from it. Yeah. And uh, to slowly rebuild the trust. I, I think it's it's uh, almost fascinating what you just said there. Like you, you see who is swimming naked. And I, I, my personal opinion is about that some people are, well, people have different skill sets. Let me put that uh, <laughs> differently here. Uh, some people don't know how to grow without spending more money. And I wanted to ask you, uh, and I know you have great colleagues, but did you feel that there were some colleagues or maybe those colleagues felt like, hey, I signed up for a growth journey. This uh, profitability bullshit doesn't interest me, so I'm not a good match. Did, did this happen? No, but there were some some colleagues, right, who kind of pushed us on the track of spending a lot of money, right? Who said, you know what, I'm going to hire those 10 extra people. And I said, okay, yeah. because we have in our DNA being kind of, you know, only do that whenever you know it pays back. Yeah, we challenged them on it, but we we kind of did not challenge them enough, and we let them go. And but then eventually we are the ones needing to clean up after that, right? So yeah, yeah, mm. you're not the you're not the only one if it makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, of course, and it's normal, right? It's also our responsibility. I think the 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 people who who uh, found the business or our CEOs, they they need to they need to carry the ultimate uh, responsibility and do all the work, to do all this kind of work, right? So. Uh, which is fine. It's a job. It's nice. So could you give some examples of how you managed to be more efficient yeah. in different areas of the company? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's it's been everywhere in the company, but I think the, let's start with the customer acquisition side of the business. Um, on the customer acquisition side of the business, we uh, did a complete evaluation of all of the marketing channels. We were spending a lot, right? We're doing lots of sponsorships, uh, we were looking at things that provided direct ROI and kind of cut out the things that did not provide return on investment. So you see a decrease on, on marketing spend of like 40 to 50% with almost no impact on the amount of lead inflow and conversions and actually closed business. So what did you peel off the, the marketing spend? Yeah, so I think a lot of Google ads, Facebook ads, the paid, the paid channels to me, um, we, we now have them really well under control, but we had way too much spend on those, right? The nice thing about that is you can easily turn that down and you can see what it does to your lead inflow. Yeah. Um, so it is not like long-term commitments. And then events as well, right? So we do quite a lot of events, but events, every time you're in a trade show with a booth, it's 50 to uh, 60 to 70,000 euros, right? Money is, will in generally not be returned within one year. So... We really evaluated all the large marketing ticket items, see, okay, this really makes sense. This does not. We don't need to be at every single event and rather go to a few and go bigger, right? So we uh, we were way more deliberate in our spending. Yeah. We also trimmed down our marketing staff a lot. Since we have, we're European, right? So we are active in eight markets, which means we have seven different languages we can support. And for every single language, you had specific people, natives, uh, and then, one was never enough, right? So we always like a two or three, and they just did not have enough work. So we really looked at the, the people as well. And uh, and I think we brought down uh, the cost on the, on the sales and marketing channel a lot, right? So in the, yeah, especially in the newer markets. And I think now they're running really. Okay. Did you outsource more of that work? Uh, no. I don't, yeah. Maybe some translation. Or did you cut down on, on uh, how much you localized? Or? No, actually, I th- actually think we didn't. So I think we did the same amount of work. With just less people. Okay. 
um, maybe they reprioritized better or um, yeah I think also another interesting dynamic is more people does not necessarily mean you do more work because you're going to get all the synchronous the talks right within all the people all the departments the consistent management they need a leader um, so I think in some cases less team which is smaller can do a lot more than a team which is bigger or they can do higher impactful work yeah so i think that's the the marketing side and on the sales side i think we just looked at okay for the current amount of business coming in leads coming in how many people can we efficiently stop yeah uh previously they were looking at okay you know what hiring one sales rep means x amount of revenue I remember challenging that a lot, but I mean, that's that's how it, it got looked at. And then it means, okay, we just hired 10 more sales reps, which means 10 times whatever, 400,000 euros of, uh, of ARR. Um, yeah, that's the, that's, that's the path to grow. But if you don't have the lead inflow for that, that doesn't make any sense, right? So our sales rep mainly goes inbound, right. uh, inbound uh, deals. What about other areas in the company, like operations, product, customer success? Mm-hmm. In customer success, we, we also uh, reduced quite a lot because I think we were hiring for the future, right? So okay. we had a lot of overcapacity on that side. So they had uh, our customer success people have a portfolio of clients and the portfolios were just way too small. It did not make sense. So we reduced that in size, but I think on the engineering product and customer success side, our customer support side, I think we didn't do a lot. Okay. So uh, I think we kept scaling that steadily. So did you do any changes then to your, uh, call it uh, an update to your ICP? Did you identify that actually we also need to go after a slightly different type of customers because they're more profitable or they're more trustworthy? Was there any change like that in this exercise? No, not really. So I think we were still targeting the same kind of customer profiles. Yeah. And I, st- I even think look, if, if you go uh, say past 2022, I think for 2023, we even went on a new customer profile, which is enterprise, the larger, the larger client. So, yeah. but then again, that's post, post the, the layoff stuff. Right. So I think then, uh, yeah, then now we're back in balancing profitability and growth mode, I think, which is uh, yeah. interesting. Are you building a SaaS business? Achieving ISO 27001 or SOC 2 compliance can help you win bigger deals, enter new markets and deepen trust with your customers. But it can also cost you real time and money. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work needed to get and stay compliant. Get audit ready in weeks instead of months and save up to 85% of associated cost. Over 6,000 fast growing companies use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. Sassiest listeners get 20% off Vanta at vanta.com slash sassiest. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash sassiest. I don't think we ever put any numbers on this. So uh, now we're talking a lot about, you know, turning to profitability, but but uh, how much have you been able to sort of uh, shift this the last few years? Could you put some numbers behind it as well? Yeah. So before the, I'm trying to be correct here because I, I'm, I'm going to be off of it maybe a bit, but not a lot. Yeah. I think before our large funding round, we were burning... Eight nine hundred k a month, which is a lot, right? Yeah. Um, because we we're already ramping, we knew we were going to close that. At the peak of our cash burn, I think we burned to two point eight or two point nine million euros a month. Okay, so nice chunk. Yeah. Then I then I got really I, I oh my god, I think that's uh, it feels very bad, right? So uh, you see the PNL, you think, what the hell are we doing? Um, and I think we brought it all the way back to I 
yeah, in December, I, I hope zero, but let's say four or 500,000 euros and uh, soon to be, uh, soon to be uh, profitable, uh, with still roughly 40, 40 something million euros of cash on our balance sheet. So we're in a good place. I think today. No, but that's really awesome. Congratulations, actually, on that because like you're also still growing nicely. Yeah. So, so that's 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 very very good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the goal is of course to be the number one uh, globally, right? To solve shipping worldwide, and I think we're starting in Europe. Yeah. Europe is is our is our core focus today. Um. So we we have a long way ahead of us. I think we're. Yes, yeah, so I'm 11 years into this business. We're still getting started. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a long way to go. Yeah, we love that attitude. So if you look back at this exercise now, the last few years that you've been on this journey, like what would you say these were the biggest challenges in this transition? And how did you guys overcome them? I think first, if you if you ever go to, I think first of all, it's making a decision to actually go and lay off staff, right? I think that's a really, really tough decision. And at least for me, it was a really tough decision. These, these were all my friends, people I've worked with for six, seven years. They trusted me. Yeah. Um, but it was needed. And then if you do it, then it's a classic advice, but really do it a bit deeper than what you think you need to do. Um, the second thing is then repairing the culture afterwards. That's really hard. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 especially with a team of young people who never went through such a thing right before so they they feel betrayed it's like how is it possible and um, i think repairing that and how do you do that as i said i think we're being very transparent very open having lots of one-on-one chats with people um giving out uh, stock options to the people you really want to keep because often what happens is all the attention goes to the people that are leaving yeah which is natural because oh they're they're hit hard but don't forget about the people you want to keep yeah so make sure to give attention to your top 50 or top uh, top 75 people. Retain them. Make sure they, they are aware of what's happening and why. And that they just keep on trusting you. I should have maybe spent a bit more time there as well. Um, and then you start repairing the culture with consistent, clear communication, being honest and open about the financials. And then when people see consistent improvements, you do need to improve, right? So when people see consistent improvement, then trust will grow back automatically. At least that's for us how it uh, eventually works. And we brought in new leadership as well, which is also, uh, yeah, it's needed. Mm. So you brought in new leadership in the middle of this exercise, on leadership on what level? Yeah, so honestly, uh, later, right? So not, not in the middle of this exercise. I think, oh, by the way, I did that as well. On the month afterwards, when we, uh, like 10 days after we let go of people, the unlucky coincidence existed that we also hired two or three senior leaders. Okay. Okay. And I can really not recommend that because they will come into a total shit show where they, they, the company where they're expected to come into, it changed, right? They, let's say you signed them two months ago or three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot recommend that. You can't properly onboard them. They lose trust in the business, right? Because everybody feels like shocked and demotivated. Yeah. And here you let 10 of my friends go. And here's these three people, new leaders that comes with their big salaries and stuff. <laughs> exactly. So uh, th- I think the team did not look at it like that, but they, they start looking at them like, hey, these, these people are going to save us or are going to help us. And then when they don't deliver, right? Everybody, then, yeah. I cannot recommend it. It's not a good onboarding. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, one difficult element was making that decision. And, and like you said, like, you know, making 
cutting deep enough, if you may, to, to use your words. Yeah. The, the, the second thing is like, you know, to be transparent, like you said, like make sure you have the muscle and the, 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 the resources to somehow repair the culture. Was there anything else in addition to these two elements, if you may, that you also felt like, shit, that was also difficult or it caught me a little bit by surprise? Yeah, how long it lasts until the, the, it's repaired, how long it echoes in the, in the, in the company. Yeah. So um, the best possible scenarios don't do layoffs, right? Don't do them. And if you need to do them, do them early right. and do them once and do them deep enough. It's it's like all the classic advice, but really, I think that's 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 how what you need to do if you're if you're in that position where you need to cut your way to profitability. And the easy the easiest path for is to grow your way out of it. Yeah. And that's a tough one because not every business has the opportunity to do so due to changing market circumstances or enormous disinvestment in sales and marketing. But we kind of did both, right? So we checked our cost profile and then we grew our way out of it. And I think we uh, are quite fortunate that it it panned out the way it did. So uh, you said that you were a little bit surprised how long it took before sort of um, things I don't know, went back to normal or something like that. But but has it still, or is it still, you know, continuing the the afterwaves of this? No, I think now it's back to normal, right? But we're we're talking about uh, what is it, fourteen months after? Uh, I think actually the past. So I'd say I'd say since May. So mm. it took us six, seven months for to regroup and for it to feel relaxed, normal. People are confident again that we're on the right track, that we're growing nicely. Yeah. Um. So, but but. I think that I struggled a lot with that, right? Because it's like, yeah, why bring that up? It's been like six months ago. Why are we talking still about this? Mm. Yeah, but it did something. But as I said, I think the best thing is have a good plan moving forward, consistently communicate, make sure everybody knows the financials, right? It brings trust. If there, if, if there's nothing to hide, right? We're really transparent. This is what it is. Yeah. Um, and then they can see for themselves. And they do need an explanation on the financials, by the way, because <laughs> not everybody can read the P&L. Yeah. And obviously, this is a, a company exercise. The way you guys designed it, it's like it's not just you know one person deciding it, or maybe a few people decided it, but then everybody's involved in making it actually a reality. In this journey, what do you feel is the role of the CEO? There's many people that are involved, but specifically, like you know, what is what was your role here? It's um, making the decision to to. Get, get to profitability, right? Setting the North Star, saying, hey, we want to be at this place at this time because of X, Y, and Z. Um, so making that decision, then challenging the team on how to get there, right? So the team together needs to think how we get there. Right. And then you ch- CEO challenges together, maybe the CFO. Then you come to a really good plan. Then the CEO is the one that communicates the plan. So you take ownership, right? You say, uh, fucked up, which is the truth, right? So uh, you, say, you say, yo, we screwed up. I screwed up. Let's, but then you want to, you want to also be the one that eventually then again is the optimist going more optimistic, right? So optimistic about the future, yeah. looking forward, trust in the business, bring calm. So I think all of these things are really, really important when you're the CEO. So it's a bit of a, yeah, that double role, but I think you you make the decision. Eventually, you communicate the decision, and then you consistently communicate about it, yeah. about the future, and uh, and that's what it's about. 
in this uh, transition, wh- where, after you decided what you needed to be doing, is there anything that you would have done different? You, you mentioned a little bit spending more time with the people that you actually wanted to retain, but was there anything else? I wish I would have seen it earlier, right? I think I wish I would have acted earlier so that we did not have to do this, but I think that's not a fair answer. Would I do anything different in the process? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I think it's it's either way, there this is never going to be perfect, but I think the the way we executed it, it was also decent to the people being let go, right? With nice Because we were on time, we could offer good severance, make sure they landed somewhere else, really support them as well, to find a new job because our recruiting team helped them put them at other companies. Yeah. Because we were early, people were still hiring buttloads of people. So I think all of that, like 85% had a new job in six weeks. So we, the, the, everybody kind of figured it out. I think the, I think the process was run well. I think the, the, the positive, commu- I, I was down after the layoff. I personally felt down for three months and I think I could have, and that that radiates, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that 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 I could have done differently. Yeah, and and you know it's easy for us to sit here and say it, but it's it's just normal. We're all humans. Like you got to feel something, and I think it's almost like I think people can relate to it. That you know, even the the big boss here, you know, takes it to heart. It's serious. It affects everybody. You said something that really caught my attention here. That you wished you would have seen it or caught it earlier. And there's one thing we know for sure that, you know, nothing is constant. There might be another pandemic. There might be, you know, the world is crazy right now. Have you done anything to your financial management process and like how you predict and how you try to prevent? Is, is there an update there that, that, that you feel that, okay, we're doing these changes to try to catch things a little bit earlier if there is something? I think we're more on the ball data-wise. Um, so we 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 look at data more often with the leadership team. I think everybody knows where the company is. Yeah, I think we're a bit more conservative with cash. I think we want to have a big cash reserve for. You know, you can't predict what happens, but if you have a large reserve of, of capital, then you can b- basically fight your way through it, no matter what happens. Yeah. So I'm a, I became a bit more risk averse than I than I was. Right. So I was really one of these people. So you know what. I don't care. I want to see growth, which is the most important thing in our business because in, in, in shipping or in payments, which is similar, you need volumes, you need merchants, you need scale if exactly. you want to build a big business. So yeah. that is the, was the most important thing. I think it's still really important today, um, but with a bit of common sense on the spending side in, uh, in this case. So, um, so Rob, if you compare maybe three years back in time versus where you're right now, if you would say that these are the main KPIs I used to look at, these are the main KPIs I look at now, which are the top three? And is there any difference? Number one is amount of parcel shipped to our platform. This is the same. Still looking at that. Yeah. Number two, the amount of net revenue we make. So net ARR. So uh, revenues, I would say. It did not change. And I think the third one used to be amount of merchants or clients we have on our platform. That changed. I think now look at the bottom line way more, right? Yeah. So it's about uh, okay, what what what's the bottom line? Yeah, I think it's it became more more uh, more more prevalent. Uh, as I said, right? So we we only went to a really large burn phase after the twenty twenty one run. Before that, it used to be our common sense that a business needs to make, yeah, or at least to be close to profitability. Gotcha. 
that makes a lot of sense. And of course, obviously, that's you know the last KPA there. It, it's a clear shift. You know that now you're thinking about the profitability moment or element a lot more than maybe in the past. Yeah, I also think it, it makes a lot of sense, right? So money got more expensive. There's not a whole lot of it available at this time, right? So, and anyways, I think you should always treat your last round as it was your last, right? Yeah. Uh, you should always have a path to profitability. And I think in 2021, it was so relatively easy to get money. It, it was for us a really big change to to what we were used to. Here, everybody thinks that it, it was already the same like that for years, but actually in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018, it was still quite hard to raise substantial funding, I think, in Europe. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like we are back at those times again now. It, it's It's... You know, the three years or four years we had, the past three, four years, they are the anomaly. It's like, this is probably more no normal than anything else here. I agree. Cool. This was uh, really interesting, as Daniel used to say. And uh, uh, what can we say about the future now for SendCloud, the next few years? Yeah, so uh, on the way to build a European leader, I think we're already the largest, uh, largest in our segment in Europe. But our aim is to be uh, the number one globally, so we're solving shipping worldwide. Uh, you're going to see, I think, in the coming years, M&A from our side. So acquiring uh, different businesses, and um, it's going to be interesting. You're going to see us building more of a Shopify-like ecosystem around our platform. Okay, um, cool. Which is uh, which is going to be really, really interesting for 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 merchants. It's not the same as Shopify's ecosystem because it would not make sense to build two of those. But <laughs> right. it's more shipping related. So there will be a lot of startups uh, starting in Eindhoven just to be close <laughs> to to you guys, right? Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's fine. I think the uh, and the third thing is we're gonna you're gonna see us doing a lot more with data, right? So okay. we, we know all the movements of shipments throughout Europe. We know how which one is the best quality. We know if you ship from uh, let's say uh, Amsterdam to uh, to whatever Stockholm. Uh, that if you do it with DPD, it takes three and a half days. But if you do it with GLS, it might take two days and it has a higher delivery quality. Um, so you're going to see us doing a lot more with data and uh, and making sure online stores can help their consumers better. So that's a, that's a bit of what we're, what we're planning for the coming uh, coming years. And growing, of course, right? So uh, expecting 40 to 50% growth in the, in the coming two years. Yeah, we have a fantastic community listening, and we used to ask our guests what they are looking for right now. But in your case, maybe we should look, who would you like to buy right now? Is there any particular kind of company they might listen to the podcast? And no, I, I must say, we have quite a broad broad view. I would say there are three things we're looking for. First of all, it's, I think, people who have shipping volumes, right? So uh, buying the, uh, the client base and, and volumes of competitors. The second thing is point solutions. So we might be looking at uh, at, uh, at something which adds to our platform. So we recently acquired a company which is called Tracy. Mm -hmm. It does uh, predictive analytics on shipping. So it means they know whenever something goes wrong with a parcel before the carrier knows and before we know. So we can already start emailing the, the, the consumer. So they do all kinds of nice stuff with data, also benchmarking. Okay. But more on that uh, later, but I think that's really interesting for us. And um, yeah, I think those are the main two actually where we're looking at. And maybe some some other additional uh, things for our online stores. If you find somebody, thanks to the podcast here, 
we want the kickback. You, you want the investment banker fee. So the, the 1% of the deal value. <laughs> exactly. The broker fee. We'll take it. <laughs> or a few tickets to a PSG game. So, oh, that's um, good. That's also good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, is there anyone that you would like to see on the show? Anyone that would uh, make you listen to your first episode of this podcast that you haven't listened to before, apparently? <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's, that's me. Um yeah, that, what if what if somebody has been? So I'm uh, I'm curious to see either uh, the CEO of Klarna. I'm not sure if he's been on the on the podcast. Sebastian has not. No, no. Uh, he's blacklisted. Yeah. He's yeah. blacklisted. We don't consider him SaaS. Yeah. Okay, I kind of agree with that. And they made a lot of money of people that couldn't pay their bills. Ah, uh, that's that's interesting. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I was actually wondering about the fundamental business model of Klarna, but <clears throat> let's see. Anybody who, where I, where I think. Yeah, I think there are some competitors which I like. Um, the payments companies you also don't don't approve; they're not SaaS, right? Is there a, so you're not saying AGM? No, no. They, I mean, they probably have a great story to tell. But let, let me ask you this: Is there, a, if we take your local market, do you feel there is a SaaS company or B two B SaaS person that has done something extraordinary that you'd like to hear his or her story? I believe the founder, again, it's, it's, you can discuss if it's SaaS, but <laughs> remote.com. Yeah. I think the remote.com founder, Job, yeah. okay. that, that's a really, really smart guy. I think he has a really good story to tell as well. Right. He's been at GitLab before, so he has a, he's a really good story to tell. I think. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> awesome. Third, third attempt, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Rob, this, this was uh, very insightful. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know you're a busy guy, but I, I Again, congratulations on running a very efficient business these days. Uh, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. We'll see you around. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Thomas. Okay, bye-bye. So, Daniel, what's your takeaway from this episode? Uh, many good things here from Rob. And one thing that uh, comes to mind, and it's something that should live there all the time, it's about efficiency. He talked about efficiency. In their case, they raised a lot of money and maybe lost a little bit of focus there for a moment. But what I take away from this is really like, everybody should do sanity checks all the times, you know, regarding the teams, regarding the projects that they're doing. Which things are that really push the needle here? Where is the money well spent? All other things should be cut, should be reduced, money should be allocated where it makes the most sense here. So I, I thought that was, again, just saying the obvious, but yeah. spend the money where it makes sense and do an inventory of all the projects. There's probably some of them that you need to cut because they're just completely, I hate to say it, useless. Yeah, and it's easy to overspend when you have a lot of money on your hands. To so be careful yeah. and don't do too many things at one time yeah and it's just about building in that as you know in the culture that you need to revisit the projects and be open and honest with yourself yeah, that yeah. you know we had this idea but it's completely inefficient let's kill it yeah yeah what about you thomas well i think if you're in the situation that you have to do this deep cut uh, and so on make sure to also take care of the ones that are staying right because they also need the attention have those one-to-ones talk about the future the incentives of of continuing and sometimes you know there are ripple effects people are quitting and you know they might have brought in people before uh, and uh, yeah try to really understand what, what's happening in the company and what motivates people to stay on yeah so with that uh, thank you for listening today uh, really appreciate you and if there is something we can do for you or if you want to get in contact with us you can reach out at contact at or via linkedin and see you soon again take care